saying mash it mashing over and over the again. button? I mean, it's just <laughs> mash, mash it, <laughs> mash the button, Ellie. Beat the button. <laughs> oh God, this is no. You're right. It does sound horrible. It sounds horrible. It also sounds what like if, neither of you had sex in your life. What have we done? Eh. We're just trying to be like Stephen Miller. That's exactly right. That's fair. That's that was fair. such a good joke, and that was not appreciated. What is, like what do you use to call Stephen Miller an insult phone? What? Yeah. Yeah. It was solid. I didn't understand. I literally didn't understand. What do you use to call Stephen Miller? An incel phone. Like the bat phone, but yeah. for incels. Yeah. Right. That is a guy who has who has for sure never felt a woman's touch. No. No. We and if he has, not in a good way. No. No. Ugh. He's probably paid for it in like for some weird stuff. Mm. Or that side of like gentle beatback of no, nah, don't touch me, no. Nah. Yeah, I sort yeah. of feel like maybe. Yeah, I don't think he has enough confidence in himself to even like even go down that road, right? Like, like he went to like Amsterdam and just ended up like hanging out, like, <laughs> just just like just like like a sort of alone and afraid. Whose opinions fall on the just and the unjust alike. And, and, and friends of this mighty vessel. You, our crew of the Corps of Discovery, we are pleased. We are honored. We are goddamn resplendent. Are we resplendent? Yes, we are. We are overjoyed to welcome to the permanent crew of this ship, the Salty Jason's Revenge. Don't add us about the name, it's permanent. To the crew of the Salty Jason's Revenge, Maggie Moore, once our feminist correspondent, and now joining us as our benevolent overlord. Welcome, Maggie. Welcome, Maggie, and thank you, Frank. Frank, Maggie, as always, we'd like to thank all of our listeners for their comments, both positive and negative, and urge, especially for, you know, you should do this for Maggie's sake right now, uh, to subscribe and rate us on iTunes or whatever podcasting service you listen to. Because the more subscriptions, the better chance we have of getting free mattresses and sheets, except not stamps, because our core listenership are philatelists, so fuck stamps.com. Stamps.com, fuck you. We want none of your money, we want none of your goddamn stamps. We do, however, we are, however, desperate for bedding materials. Please send us mattresses and sheets, Jesus Christ. Our backs hurt so much. And to be filthy. And to be honest, if stamps.com wants to give us money, we'll. I will be goddamned. <laughs> <laughs> I'm willing to take it. Yeah. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter at, at @takingship, and you can follow Frank at Frank Spring and me at Ellie Jacobs and Maggie at mmore zero one two. But taking ships really the that's not that wasn't it. No shit. <laughs> that's so good. You were so close. Were like so close. And appreciate the warm welcome, but it's Maggie M. God damn it! Two minutes and we already <laughs> fucked this up. Horrifically botched. All right, so oh your new your new crew of Salty Jason's Revenge is just Frank and Maggie because Ellie sucks. Well, and we've uh, dropped you overboard. Yeah. Who are we? Yeah, who's walking the plank this week? It's yeah. Ellie Jacobs. Yeah. <laughs> eh. me, amongst me and Kurt Russell. Yeah. Y'all, that's a weird 80s movie reference. I'm too young. Yeah, that's fine. Mm. Uh, taking ship which is ship with a P as in passion, which sounds weird, but because we're all in one room at the same time, which has only happened twice before, and it's weird to say passion looking into Frank's eyes, but 
And yet it feels so right. It feels thing. so now, we, right. We generally avoid these things because as, as a matter of public record, Ellie and I don't much care for each other. Uh, but here we are. Maggie, welcome to the crew of the Salty Jason's Revenge. Thank you. I'm so, I'm so glad to be here so I can also contribute to the madness. <laughs> we look forward to it with great anticipation. Yeah. All right. So let's dive right in. We've got Maggie, which is wonderful and terrific. Uh, mm-hmm. where, do, where do we want to start? Um, I was thinking that now that we have a new crew member and we are now 64-ish episodes in, mm-hmm. it might make sense Jeez. to... Yeah, that's a lot of talking on our part of just <laughs> utter bullshit. And God bless you all for listening to all that. Because If you're still with us, you're the best. Yeah. Thank you. I, we, I we, don't know why you do it, but, but we love you for we it. We know you have many listening options. Mm-hmm. And we thank you for listening to us. And we expect that if you're listening to us, you are not listening to Pod Save America. Mm-hmm. Which we are, we thank you for that. Yes, yes, we you have our deepest thanks for that. But you know, this is an opportunity for for a little bit of renewal here. Um, and, and you know, this is the you know mid midsummer. Uh, this is in fact we are recording this on the solstice. It is of course a time for reflecting on the things in life for which you are thankful. It's a time in which we gather our family together to share a giant meal and reflect upon the blessings of the year and the harvest and generally share our thanks for things. That is my understanding of the solstice, and I will not be told otherwise. Uh, so let, but Isn't it so, just that the day and night are the same yeah, amount of time? Yeah, do we do time? that? Do we gather for feastings? Are we pagans? Have I been fucking this up? <laughs> I don't think there's a wrong way to celebrate, but I just think you're like on your own. Yeah, it's, a very, it's very possible. And that's fine. It's very possible. It's possible I'm also thinking of a different holiday. What, but, are you, but, what are you feasting on? Maybe I will come. Well, turkey, is that not what one eats on the solstice? And stuffing? And rolls? And cranberry sauce? I'm not going to wave you off that trail because it's a good meal, so just keep going. <laughs> so just keep going with this thing. Just right. keep so this week, so, so we are thankful to have Maggie with us, and we're thankful to have this opportunity to, define, to redefine some terms. Because what kind of good entertainment doesn't begin with the definition of terms? I know this one certainly does. Uh, we've talked a little bit about a few themes here, and, and I, this has been a great week for one of our best and most important well, and most central themes. Yeah. Several uh, of our uh, best and most important I, themes. I think the it's one been, that we should start with, actually. Yeah, it's been because, a terrible week for everything else, but right. it's been a great week for these themes, I want to emphasize. So, well, otherwise, you know, disastrous fucking week. Winner us, mm-hmm. loser basically everybody else. Everyone, humanity. Humanity. Yeah. Decency, humanity writ large. Dignity. Um, I thought maybe it makes sense to start with Dumbest Timeline America. Yeah, let's do that. Now that we have a new crew member, it might be worth kind of reevaluating what we can, what we think of it, and how we define it. Sure. So my personal definition of dumbest timeline America um, is sort of there are many approaches to the concept of study of time. We're doing the we're doing the back to the we're doing the back to the future one. This is so much worse than it has to be. Many approaches to the study of time. We're doing the back. This is the worst possible. Yeah. We're we're doing the back to the we're doing the back to the future one. So at some point, um, either in 2015 or potentially earlier, Mm -hmm. we veered off the course of normalcy into dumbest timeline America. Mm -hmm. And one of the core concepts of dumbest timeline America is given any situation. The dumber of the two options is what's going to happen. So, for instance, the first lady does something that basically any White House that was in a giant shitstorm like they've been in this week would do, and they go, she went to visit kind of the front lines of it. But she wore a jacket in 80-degree Texan weather, so we'll just leave that aside for just one hot moment, that said, I don't care. She found something that said, I don't care. I own no clothing since my varsity jacket in high school that had writing on it. 
And I've never owned a garment that said, I don't care. And I certainly have never worn one to visit a children's prison. And neither of you have the amount of power that Melania Trump has. Everyone's going to see what that says. Yeah, that's true. I could walk around in a shirt that says, I don't care, and no one would care. It's yeah. a very meta reflection. These are, they, these are literally the dumbest people on earth who haven't had to need adult supervision at all times, or they're monsters. Like, those are the two not, options not you have. Not mutually exclusive, buddy. Right, not mutually exclusive. Right. Right. Yeah. Frank, how would you define dumbest timeline America? Dumbest timeline, you, you basically got it. There's a concept in fiction, especially in comic books, about darkest timeline. Oh, really? You're going to give me shit yeah, about, yeah, no, that's, yeah, you're, about we're gonna the get, study we're gonna of time and we're going to go down comic book lands. We are, we are. Your the nerds are so lucky I'm, I'm here. That, I mean, you know, <laughs> yes, boy, that's the goddamn truth. Uh, darkest timeline America, darkest, darkest timeline whatever Dumbest. is, yeah, well, Dumbest. no, but this is my point. Like, in <laughs> comics, there's a theory of darkest timeline. And Darkest Timeline is like, the heroes are villains, everything's gone to shit, everything, the, wor the worst, most evil, most dark thing that could possibly happen has happened. It's a, kind of, it's a weird, like, awful mirror version of the universe. I feel like the last this 30 is... seconds were just for Graham. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> this is exactly for Graham West. Hi, Graham. Hi, Graham. How you doing? Hi, Graham. Hey. Uh, so, uh, this is the point about this, and there were people after Donald Trump was elected, there were people who said this is Darkest Timeline America, and goddamn if recent events haven't validated that view to a certain degree. But the general view of this podcast is that this is not darkest timeline America. Sometimes dumbest and darkest do overlap. Yep. They're not but mutually exclusive. They're not mutually exclusive at all. Sometimes something evil and stupid can happen. But generally speaking, the arc of this particular presidency and this particular timeline for America leads, you know, bends toward the dumbest possible goddamn thing. So that is what dumbest timeline America means. And as Ellie said, in a choice between the... Like, all decisions, all possibilities will move toward the dumbest possible outcome. Not necessarily the most evil, although often, but certainly the dumbest. Max, where are you on Dumbest Timeline America? So, I actually didn't know that you two had a uh, fiction-based or comic book-based definition. And you just Ellie, thought we came up with a catchy slogan to sell t-shirts? Well, so you I can purchase your t-shirts at takingship.com. <laughs> Always on brand. Um, so, I thought that Dumbest Timeline in America referred to um, like a social media timeline, like Facebook or Twitter, because so much of how Trump waves his dumbness around is on Twitter, and so how so much of how we now interact with each other is by saying dumb shit uh, on social media. So I thought it was like if you were following basically every Trump administrator on Twitter, if you were scrolling through, um, that you were following the dumbest timeline in America. Um, so I take it from a literal timeline sense of, like, your Twitter feed or your Facebook feed. Which is a terrific definition, and honestly at least as good as, if not better, than, than what we just articulated. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. And, this, and this is certainly, if you spend any time on social media, first of all, why? And this is something we've all done. Uh, but secondly, yeah, this is totally true. It's absolutely validated by, by experience. Uh, social media is a horror movie right now, and it is unconscionably and, ir and irreparably and yet repetitively dumb in the best of all possible ways. Yeah, I, I saw spend so much time on it. I, I saw something today. <laughs> because why would we make ourselves happy it. when we no. can make ourselves unhappy? Exactly. Twitter bought some company today that is uh, that exists to fight uh, hatred online. And to <laughs> me, Twitter makes we, the hatred we, online. Right. Like we just, fucked it up so badly we have to hire someone to unfuck this for us. Oh my God. Just close goddamn shop. As we have repeatedly said, when they doubled the amount of characters you can use, they went the wrong direction. Yeah. Honestly, we should shut it all down. We are all of us on Twitter. We are all extremely online. Our brains are rotting. All of us, I think, can agree if this thing was terminated tomorrow, we'd all be better off. Yeah, we really need to have, like, a real social Maybe media person on to, like, dive into this a little bit. To, like, I want somebody to defend Twitter. 
I mean, I like it mostly now. I use it for jokes. It is my yeah. favorite right. joke hub, and it's the yeah. quickest way to know if a joke of mine works or not. That's, so, a, that's a, that's a really yeah. good point. I use it for comedy. That's totally true. Yeah. And, and honestly, that is its highest and best use, right? And before everyone went insane, like 2013, 2014, yes. was sort of the golden age of people, like like long-form, bizarre people adopting characters. I mean, Drill came out of that period, right? Like, there's some really funny stuff on there, and now it's getting drowned out by all these truly awful human beings. But, like, the only reason we were able to get David Roth on this thing a few weeks ago was that, you know, he has been funny on Twitter and we have been funny back with him and, yeah. like, we're able to... So, right, I mean, it has Chris, not been... And so, so Chris Liu, who I yeah. would say is our most high-ranking yes, guest at this Cer- point. Certainly from a, from a White House cabinet perspective, yes. Yeah. He, Chris found us on... Chris was nice enough to find us on Twitter and reach out to us. Yeah, yeah that's right. It's sort of like a way to cope in the madness of the stuff, the bullshit that you're seeing on your timeline is to then be able to crack a funny joke every once in a while or to be able to see that. It's a nice reprieve from yeah. the madness. Right. It's true. And it's also given us some truly great form jokes, which, I mean, this is not a Twitter podcast, so we don't necessarily just spend a lot of time on Why this. Why not? But like, it really, honestly, like, this, this is a good point. This, <laughs> it could be. This is a new direction. Hello, hello, good evening, and welcome to Dumbest Timeline America, a podcast about Twitter, because why not? <laughs> we right. just read Twitter to people. This is just, yeah. I, I, honest, honestly, this is all social interaction. Yeah, it's great. I, I was, talk- I was talking to a guy at, at the bar a couple of weeks ago, and he is now starting a podcast where they're just going to look at song lyrics. They're going to analyze and discuss song lyrics. There's a, I mean, there's a whole website, Rap yeah. Genius, that does that, but also there's Song Exploder, which, mm-hmm. but that does more than just the lyrics. It actually pulls apart, like, instrument by instrument and sort of note by note mm-hmm. what's happening in a song oh, that you like. So, like, that, that to me feels like I think like these guys were trying to, like, goof on it. No, because the lyrics thing is just, like, what you do in eighth grade, like, with your friends after school analyzing song lyrics. Maybe went, girls do that. We went I don't to know. very different schools. I went to a public school. I don't know. So did I, but but can you say more about the phenomenon you just described? I mean, you're basically hunting through songs or song lyrics that like reflect the like prepubescent pain that you have. Why Matt didn't talk to you at lunch? A hundred percent. Or like, you know, Matt, I don't how know the they're always named right. Matt. They're Fucking always Matt. named just Matt. Felt right. Um I have an ex boyfriend named Matt. Of course you do. <laughs> um but, uh, you know, you're looking for meaning and why your two-week relationship ended. And mm. I always did that with song lyrics. And so we would, like, write song lyrics on our binders and Sharpie that were, like, this, the, like, semi-emo stuff. So, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Maybe I would probably listen to that song uh, podcast. Not going to lie. Sure. No, yeah. that, 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 no, honestly, like, that, that's, that sounds good as hell. But it, it does, that does, yeah. I guess maybe a little bit of that, but that, that does feel like a very gendered adolescent behavior, pre-adolescent behavior. Love you know, it. yeah, sure, why not? I mean, you know. Which of which of, I mean, who amongst us hasn't looked back on some of those like gendered or not gendered pre-adolescent behaviors and been like, actually, that that was the good stuff, right? Like yeah. that was yeah. a better, much better use of our time than what we're doing now. <laughs> like the Metallica Black album came out when I was in seventh grade, and it was just wonderful. Jesus Christ! I'm old. <laughs> That's holy smokes. Yeah, no, it's true. All of these are good times. So, to return to our themes, if 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 we may, very briefly, <laughs> uh, before we get on to dragging some people who deserve it. Uh, and we do promise a good dragging today. Oh, so we've got we, we've talked about dumbest timeline America. One of our big themes is incompetence versus malice, right? Like this is something yeah. we we bring up often enough. I, we don't need to spend a lot of time on it, but basically the theory here is that uh, in a choice, but the, the, this administration is full of both. This timeline is full of both. Not just the administration, but the sort of general cultural moment is full of both incompetence and malice. Uh, but generally speaking, in a choice between the two of them. Uh, in, in this administration and generally in this timeline, uh, attempts at malice are often undone by incompetence. Incompetence is the dominant sort of 
theme uh, and dominant force of our of our present era. God help us all. Right. I think this is actually something kind of important to spend a little bit of time on because it feels like that there is this ongoing debate, particularly on the left, of whether the as we just said, are these people monsters or are they just beyond incompetent? And we have generally come out on the side that he is an ignoramus by choice who is a 70-year-old man who wants to learn nothing new and has his beliefs of what's going to get his 20% of the base excited Mm -hmm. and nothing else. So it's not malicious so much as it's just dumb. I think it was David Roth who described him as a replacement-level rage grandpa, and that's about right. Yeah. I mean, if you look, though, at, like, Trump's practices uh, when he was a lot younger, he was still a racist. Yeah. Like, that's oh, not to say oh, yeah, he's yeah, like yeah. a dodding person who like doesn't really know what he's doing, which is true, but he is being specific about it. Yeah. Absolutely. He hates black people. Like mm-hmm. yeah. that's just a fact. Yeah. Um and so like yes, there it's riddled with incompetence, but like let's not forget that there is plenty of malicious bone on his body. Oh, absolutely. That's that is entirely it. And I think like the malice is definitely there. The reason that we came up with this distinction early is that uh, especially earlier in his administration before we got a chance to see how it would play out. There were, and you still find these people out there in spite of all the available evidence. Scott Pruitt. Be, be, yeah, yeah, people, well, this is people who are out there saying that this administration pursues its, you know, pers- you know is playing three-dimensional chess, right? A 13-dimensional chess, right? That this whole thing is a distraction, that it's meant to, like, it's a smoke and mirror show, you know, designed to distract you from whatever real thing. No, man, these people are just really dumb. Yeah, I have a, I have a friend. They're hateful and malicious, to uh, Maggie's point, but they're really dumb. I, I, I have a friend who... Uh, known each other a long, long time, and he's an interesting person to follow on Facebook just because we, we have certain very distinctively different um, approaches to things. But he broke down saying he broke down something on, on Facebook yesterday I thought was really interesting. He basically said Donald Trump wrote a book about how and why he approaches things the way he approaches them. You go for the maximalist position no matter what you do, even if it alienates the other side, hoping that the other side comes back. I mean, the problem is, is that he's never actually closed any deals where he's won, Mm-hmm. that haven't involved him being bankrupt or sued for any number of things. Um, but people who think that this administration is straight-up malicious needs to, need to keep in mind that things would be way worse if they were competent. Mm-hmm. That's right. There is a slightly There's an incompetent maliciousness. Yeah. Which almost, in a way, could possibly be worse, that like they don't even know the damage that they're causing. But the other thing is that... like. He's not the only one that's in charge. Like, mm-hmm. he, like if you think that he's the mastermind behind any sort of policy, like that's hilarious. And like, yes, Scott Pruitt is like spending a lot of money on like tactical pants um, or whatever <laughs> he's actually spending his money on. They're like pants, but tactical. But tactical. Um, which somebody found on Google for thirty-seven dollars a pair. Well, he needed a which, lot of pairs. Which no, there was it wasn't a lot of pairs. That was the whole thing. It was like six pairs. What the fuck is a tactical pant? It's the, like, cargo pants that... (laughs) It's cargo pants. (laughs) That's awesome as hell! Oh, my God! Cargo pants have a bad name because they look bad in public and your wife won't let you wear them. But if we rebrand them as tactical pants... That's a dad rebrand. That's a super For sure. This is, like, this... Oh, dudes, be better. Like, don't just buy shit because it's in matte black and has the word tactical in front of it. Jesus Christ, there's a whole thing... Some asshole was advertising tactical, like, chapstick because it was matte black. There's tactical baby diaper bags. Oh, yeah, th- this is a whole other, like, sidebar Which conversation that is, we can get into yeah. of unnecessarily gendering products. It is fucking hilarious. 
Um, but yeah, I think that's a different rabbit hole for a different time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we will um, certainly come back to it because it's right. a very good rabbit hole. Right. But I think generally what I'm trying to say is like someone like Stephen Miller, who gets a lot of power, can willfully and gleefully. Can we just call him Stefan? Because I feel like that would piss him off. Yeah. Stephen Miller. Steph. Steph. That's his. That's his taking yeah. ship dumb nickname. Stephen. Steph. Yes. You were saying I, know, I know some females named Steph that I enjoy. So like Stephen, I think that was good. But they don't spell it. Steph. They don't spell it S T E P H. Steph Dreyer. Oh. Yeah. Does she? Yeah. Stephen. All right. We're, All right. we're good with Stephen. Anyway, we digress. Like he can willfully and gleefully. He can willfully and gleefully enact policies that um, are cruel, and it's actively working out now. And so, yes, Trump is sort of like, mm, okay, like let's stop it. But like, there are still people in the administration that aren't that are a lot smarter. And but just by saying like, oh, they're so stupid, can often make it like relieve some of that pressure. Mm-hmm. Never let up on that pressure. That's fair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, there was a thing. Uh, Stefan Miller went to a mezcal <laughs> went to a mezcal Hell bar. Yeah. That works. In, That's that works. stone cold trolling. Yeah. In, yeah. in in DC last night, which like people would be like, oh, he just went out for a drink. No, no. he is a professional troll. Yeah. He is a troll that our tax money pays for. Yeah, and he, and his whole career has been this, right? Like, yeah. this is the guy who uh, you know. I mean, he's been a troll forever. Everyone knows this is part of his public profile. This is the guy who I guess it was in high school. Ran the last leg of a women of like a, of like a of like a girls track competition, but in as an attempt to demonstrate some sort of gendered superiority. That is so sad. This takes right. so much energy this, to be this spiteful. Right, and I'm pretty sure he lost by a lot. Well, that's also probably why his hairline is in the middle of his head is because all that spite just like takes it away. That's exactly yeah. The dude, yeah, I mean he he's like the like somewhere there's a picture of this dude that isn't aging a day. But yeah, he's 100%. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's he's just an, a truly awful example of humanity. Yeah. Stefan. Yeah, oh, Stefan. Fuck you, Stefan. Classic right. Stefan. So we checked the box on dumbest time in America. We checked the box on incompetence versus malice scale. Yeah. We're coming back, and now let's friends. let's hit the big one. Oh, friends, friends, because we only have one good idea, and by God, we're writing as far two. as it'll take. Two, we good two, we two, we two good ideas. We have two good ideas. First one is to sell T-shirts. Yes, that was a good idea. Buy your <laughs> go takingship.com. Constantly plugging. That's Love it. Just always out here, just moving these units. Actually, my three, wife really just wants them out three, of the apartment. Three so. good, three good ideas. Actually, we're just going to keep expanding this list. Three good ideas. First, uh, it was selling T-shirts. Second, bringing in Maggie. Uh, third, uh, and third, and 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 ideologically the most important contribution that we have made is I think alt centrism. Alt-centrism, friends. It means many things to many people, but the essential definition of alt-centrism, you've heard of the alt-right. You m- might have heard of the alt-left. It sort of exists, but the alt-center is, is our enemy in the wild, the enemy of this podcast, and it is for this reason. Centrism is an actual ideological political position. It's having a pretty bad run these days, but it is a legit position. We would call it neoliberalism, right? It is a combination of public and private approaches to solving social problems. Had a problems. big heyday during the Clinton years. Had a triangulation, huge, yeah. public-private partnerships. Yeah. This is this is what we're talking yeah, Clinton, about. Yeah, Clinton, yeah, the Clinton years, new labor in Britain. Uh, you know, to a, to a degree, some of the W. Bush administration, I think, had a, had a, had a sort of faintly centrist view, although it was more right-wing. I, I would say No Child Left Behind was... Yeah, there, there's certainly yeah, there's certainly yeah. elements of it throughout the throughout the policy agenda of that administration. Anyway, and and it was and it had a pretty good run during the Obama years, I would say. Uh, so centrism as an approach of compromise and so forth uh, between public and private, and it's it, it it's had a it's it's having a rough time now, but it's a, it is an existent and right. legitimate and reasonably coherent. It policy is a position. thing. That is a thing that exists. Yes, alt centrism are people who are disaffected with centrism, 
and disaffected with all, with the other policy spectra. Uh, but pursue, but the manifestation of this, their discontent, is the la- is the lack of civility. It, they, what they what they uh, what they promote, and indeed I would argue fetishize, is agreement bet- is is it is the agreement between opposing sides for its own sake regardless of the quality of that agreement. So as long as people on the right and people on the left are unhappy but an agreement is reached, these people are happy. Uh, as long as we can say nice things about people on the other side of the spectrum, political spectrum, regardless of how malicious, how dangerous they might be, these people are happy. They mistake c- the process of civility and mutual respect for actual content, and they will sell actual content of policy down the road uh, for uh, the, the appearance of of friendliness and decent civility. They are extremely conflict-averse. Uh, and, and, and this is something, I think actually, Maggie, you put a really good spin on this earlier, on alt-centrism. What was your take from earlier on this thing? Yeah, I mean, at least hearing about this yearning for a time of civility is when moment in history of great progress that we continue to celebrate today happened because we were nice to each other. Mm-hmm. That conflict <laughs> and struggle is the work of process in politics. And so when we're yearning for this this time of like ag- of agreement and rainbows and puppies, I I don't know what it's what, talking about, what it's talking about or yeah. what it's looking to advance. The other thing um, that I was thinking about is, and go with me on this journey. Mm-hmm. It seems like a lighter, different sort of version of what the slogan "Make America Great Again" is trying to do. Is what time are we yearning for? When mm-hmm. in American politics and discourse yeah. have we been polite and kind and civil? I mean, like, yes, you should be nice to your friends and family, but in terms of um, political discourse, what time are we talking about? When white dudes were nice to each other. Right. I, white I, dudes were never right. nice to each other. I, I, think, I think that there's this drastic misconception brought to us in large part by no labels. Um, which, <laughs> yes. which, Hello, it, friends. Which, which is run by some people that I really genuinely genuinely respect, like Mark McKinnon, but they have this idea that part of the downfall of the republic has been brought on that congressmen's families no longer live in D.C. So there's no opportunity for these people to socialize outside of the Capitol, where they're only working three days a week because being a congressman is just the sweetest job ever. But the idea being that they're not getting together at their kids' Little League games or at PTA events, so there's no opportunity for them to socialize and become buddies. The problem with that is these people weren't actually buddies. They might get along and have a drink with people. Ted Kennedy was famous for having drinks with basically everybody. Anybody would have a drink. Anybody would have a drink with him, but he disagreed vociferously yeah. on issues with people, and that was fine. That was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I hear you on the like. Let's we need to build personal relationships so that we can have like friendly disagreements or at least productive disagreements. I mean, that's how Patty Murray and Paul Ryan actually got a budget passed sure. because she had meetings with him and got to know him. Um, and what she found out she did not like. <laughs> truly, truly. And they disagree a lot and on everything. Um, and, but they still got the budget passed because of that kind of relationship they had. The other thing about not living in DC is it is expensive yep. to move your, your, to move your entire family to the district and live there. I mean, like, I'm not saying that we should be paying Congress people more, but, like, that's a that's a big concern. No, but a lot of it also has just, sort of like, sh- like you were saying, it's sheer economics. And in the 90s, when the Gingrich Revolution happened and when this concept of everybody living in D.C. all the time really disappeared, because, partially because Gingrich campaign and the Contract for America ca- campaigned on the idea of go home every weekend, 
is because suddenly it became more affordable to do that. And it was cheaper for you to fly home every weekend right. than have your whole family in, in D.C. year-round or at least 10 months of the year, whatever you need to be in your home district to qualify on the ballot. Mm-hmm. And the, this that, that yearning is, we, we, we talked about the lack of personal relationships and the idea that like they all got along. And, and the, the image that always comes up with alt-centrism, this is one of the signs that you're suffering from alt-centrism. And if you think you might be, please seek help. Uh, one of the signs of it is that you uh, remember the the halcyon days when Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan would have a whiskey together. Say. There we go. <laughs> and, and you know, and with all respect to you know, a, you know, a very effective Democratic legislator, uh, legislator, how the hell did that period work out for us? I mean, the period in which we essentially gave away the farm and precipitated the deunionization, in particular, of America. This is what we're going back to when we could all agree on when when Democrats especially could friend could agree in friendliness to get our asses handed to us. You've got to be kidding with me. I feel like then the reason why someone would take this stance because if you sort of if you actually take a look at it, you realize that no, this time period doesn't exist uh, where we were all getting along. Um, but what it allows the person who's taking that stance to do is feel like they have the moral high ground, that they're the good person. Mm-hmm. They're the one that's calling for decency and manners, and that anyone else who is disagreeing with that is wrong and is bad and is morally bad. And it feels like you're describing a talk show host on MSNBC in the morning time. Mm-hmm. Who, who could that be? I don't, I'm not sure. Should we all slurp on our Jamba Juices and talk about it? God. Jamba Juices <laughs> in... Right. No. Are they on Jamba Juice now? I thought they were on Starbucks. Uh, I mean, it's all of it. There was a picture... Sorry, just bring up Twitter again. Mm. There was a picture that was floating around on Twitter of the, the disgusting Morning Joe desk. It was covered mm-hmm. with papers, half-finished Jamba Juices, Starbucks. I feel like there was like a sandwich wrapper. It was atrocious. I'm not a clean desk person, but I was horrified by the sight of that. It was... I've, I've had campaign desks that were more... Truly. More super fun sites than that. I've been less, to, I've, less super fun. I've been to the Morning Joe set with the clients in the past, and I wouldn't say it's a happy place. Clearly. No, it's, it's there's a king and a queen yeah. uh, who are, as Maggie just said, morally, believe they are morally superior. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then there's everybody else. There's the totems. Yeah. That sounds awesome as hell. And so, I mean, Mike Barnacle's a badass, but like... Not, well, any, not well, anymore. But what does that get you? Right. Now this is so. Yeah, the the, the morning crew uh, is definitely are definitely all centrists in uh, you know in the highest form. But but friends, we have the opportunity to talk a little bit about specific examples of all centrism. Uh, we are not just talking conceptually. We're uh, we're you know we are able to speak with greater specificity about one of the absolute uh, high priests of all centrism. And so I am pleased today, uh, with my uh, co-host's permission, to bring up David Brooks. I don't want to drag him. <laughs> we've, got a, we've got a strong disparity of opinion, and as long as we can bring these two together for some kind of compromise, then surely we'll all be saved. All right, David Brooks of the New York Dave Times. Dave Bro. Dave Bro, to his many friends and admirers, has delivered himself of some remarkable opinions of late. I don't have enough time to go through, none of us have enough time, to go through the things that he, writ- that he has uh, written lately that have been uh, truly shocking. Uh, but but I want to focus on a couple of things here Bef- first. Frank, before mm-hmm. we dive into his recent columns, I yes. want to flag one thing that I find remarkably disturbing. Good, excellent. HBO recently put out a documentary about John McCain, mm-hmm. which is worthwhile watching in, if only just to see McCain blame the SNL crisis and Palin on his staff rather than choices that he made. Also, That's cold-blooded. Oh, yeah. that was, yeah. It that, was is, a, that was a good one. That he was, takes yeah. everybody he's ever known... Sees a bus coming, 
stops the bus, places them on the ground, and then calls the bus and forward. Then waves it on. Yeah. yeah. It is also so a I watch this. festival of alt centrism of just Democrats that's, just being like John right. McCain is like, sorry. Right. That's the point I'm bringing up. I mean, like, it's great that Bill Clinton and Barack Obama have nice things to say about John McCain, who they probably have nice things to say anyway. But this was essentially, I mean, John McCain is not a well individual. He will be passing at some point in the near future. He's an American hero for a variety of reasons. But this was an HBO sponsored eulogy that went on for quite some time. One of the people involved in this was David Brooks, who had multiple pop-ins to say things about alt-centrist ideas that John McCain did. And these were mostly when John McCain crossed the aisle, uh, which really up until 1994 wasn't a big deal. But one thing I noticed about David Brooks when they were interviewing him is he doesn't have any incisor teeth. Mm. They're just not there. Mm. And like I mm. guarantee you he has never seen the inside of a hockey rink. So I don't know why his teeth are not there. It's from his career as a semi-pro boxer. But it was wildly distracting that this man just was missing significant portions of his teeth and didn't think to, I don't know, get a bite plate or something. I just don't really... I mean, I haven't seen the McCain thing, but I don't feel the need to hear his voice at all. Also, personally. yes. Like, no. No. I don't want to subject myself to that. No, thank you. But it's so pleasing and centrist-sounding. <laughs> yeah, it's it's truly it's truly horrifying. So, I mean, Dave Bro has been in a bit of a role here recently. Uh, I actually am not going to go into detail on his June seventh piece, "The Problem with Wokeness," in which David Lovely. in which David Brooks attacks the concept of being woke. It's so good, friends. I can't recommend it highly enough. And by that, I mean it'll it'll kill you stone dead. Uh, is this the one where he completely misrepresented yeah, Mayor Kahana? Yeah, Mayor Kahana. He, he somehow gets the wrong side of Tom Nahisi Coates. Like, he just, he takes on a... a I swear to God, if this man just knew how to use Google, you know, 90% of his columns would just be if, gone. If you're a white dude and find yourself writing and taking the position that being woke, being aware of social injustice... Uh, and, and being prepared to do something about it is somehow a destructive position in society, for the love of God, please lie down until that feeling goes away. Uh, honestly, we could spend all of our time with the, uh, on our, oh, honestly, the f- all of our time on this thing, but we're not going to. It was the following column that really got yeah. me. We're going to get Donald Trump is not playing by your rules. Oh. Oh, no. Thanks, Dave, bro. Yeah, that's shocking. No, that's, that's a good point. During the same period, this guy really has just been tearing it up out here. During the same period, he gave a... Uh, uh, he gave a, uh, an interview uh, in a recent event at George Mason uh, University in which he described his own uh, religious views, uh, which are a mix of Judaism and Christianity, described himself as religiously bisexual. No. Cor- uh, correct. Yes, that is, that is the correct Never answer. Never say made. those words. Why? Never say those words. But later, no, no, it gets better. Because later he described himself as religiously transgender. So our guy is just, he's just, he's out here killing, man. He's living his best life. I think it's pretty clear he doesn't know the difference between transgender and bisexual. Truly. Oh my God. That's embarrassing. And could very easily be avoided. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) This dude just. Oh boy. Those are two words that would, that would, that honestly, you could go your entire life without linking and yet this guy just leads right. David Brooks, if you're listening, which, Mm -hmm. let's be honest, I don't know what else you're doing with your time. So you're probably listening to this because we're talking about you and I feel like. That's really what you're all about. www.google.com. Yeah, just just do your basic research here. It's magical. 
And then it culminates, it culminates so beautifully in David Brooks's piece on June 14th, 2018, Personalism, the philosophy we need, in which he advocates for a policy of uh, personalism. I highly recommend that you read this thing. Uh, but, but essentially it is... My favorite part of this column, mm -hmm. can I just... Yeah, yeah, hit just, me. No, hit this me. Just, lay, it, lay it on me. This just infuriated me from a perspective of this guy thinks he's so much smarter than everybody else. Hit it. In the fourth paragraph, he quotes someone named Carol Wajotila. Mm -hmm. That and, is how you pronounce it, yes. And then in two paragraphs later, in parentheses... He says that this gentleman went on to become Pope John Paul II. Yeah, so he's, he's he has a nice reveal there. He's yeah, he's kept this secret this whole time for an entire paragraph and a half. Yeah, one, so this is one of the great behaviors of one of the, the favorite behaviors of David Brooks is to invent. He he hates uh, what what some people pejoratively call identity politics. The phenomenon that he's actually describing is uh, people having personal experiences and learning from them and talking about them. That is the, the actual experience that David Brooks despises, uh, and w when they are not him, right? Like that's that's ultimately what it comes down to. So he loves to bring up something. This is a classic David Brooks. This is a first paragraph. One of the lessons of a life in journalism, he writes, is that people are always way more complicated than you think. We talk in shorthand about Trump voters or social justice warriors. Uh, yeah, you do that. Uh, but when you actually meet people, they defy categories. Someone might be a Latina lesbian who loves the NRA or a socialist Mormon cowboy from Arizona. This is a classic David... First of all, a socialist Mormon cowboy from Arizona. Think about that. This is a classic David Brooksism in which he basically has a series of, category, of, of, of descriptive Mad Libs and recombines them saying why someone might be, you know, might, you know, might be, uh, you know, a gay and ultra-conservative Catholic uh, from, you know, from Bhutan. You don't know that about them. Anyone can be anything. And it's a wonderful way of intellectualizing the idea that there are actually people who have very defined experiences that are very different, uh, that are very different from his uh, and, uh, and actually would lead them to some fairly different views about how the world works. I mean, if you're, if you're actually spending that much column inches mm -hmm. um, talking about something like that, you're essentially, as an as a older white dude, you're columbusing the idea that mm -hmm. like different identities exist. We're aware, yeah, okay? Yeah. We've been aware of that for a very long time. Thank you. Yes, I love the idea that he is the one who is bringing to us the understanding that some folks have different views of the world. Yeah, I thank, didn't know that thank until you, I got David, to the last page of the David New York Brooke. Times. No, it's just, it's, I didn't know. It's, it's a hell of a shock for us. And I almost missed it because I like didn't look at that part. Yeah, oh yeah. And then at some point, like this, as, as is typical with David Brooks' pieces, there is, a, there is a sort of a nugget, a nut, if you will, that is not entirely wrong. At the extreme, he writes, so he, forgive me, he's talking about uh, how uh, culturally and in discourse we do a, a, a disservice to uniqueness and depth of each person, which again, for anyone who's read his body of work, is a remarkable statement coming from him. Uh, but he writes, at the extreme, evolutionary psychology reduces people to biological drives, Capitalism reduces people to economic self-interest, modern Marxism to their class position, and multiculturalism to their racial one. He's not wrong about that. At their extreme, all of those things do happen. Uh, so he is naturally against all of them. So what is he advocating? He is advocating for... Just, mm -hmm. All of those things are things. Yeah, they're all things. They all, thi they all, they are all things, and they, then they could theoretically exist in their own world. Marxism existing in its own world did not work as we know, but when they are all combined, you can't separate them. Well, and his, this In is David the, Brooks's mind, they are. Yeah, and he's, he's taking them all to their extremes, and, you know, and, 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 and so he's not wrong on those critiques, but 
but basically he's just taking an Aristotelian position that anything in an extreme is bad. Congratulations, David, you're now an undergraduate. Aristotle, drink. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, congratulations, David, you're now an undergraduate, we all drink beer. Uh, so what is, what is his alternative to this, he asked. You, you might ask, well, thank God David is here to resolve this, Dave bro. Personalism. Personalism is a philosophical... Yeah, I'm not making this up, I wish I was. Personalism is a philosophical tendency, he writes, built on the infinite uniqueness and depth of each person. Over the years, people like Walt Whitman, Martin Luther King, William James, uh, Peter Morin, and Waltje, who went on to become Pope John Paul II, there's your callback to Ellie's earlier point, have called themselves personal. Five people, if they knew that they were mentioned in the same yeah. sentence, would probably slit their wrists. Well, yeah, I mean, like, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, like, who the hell else is missing from this thing? Uh, but the movement have called themselves personalists, did they? But the movement is still something of a philosophical nub. It's not exactly famous. No, Dave, tell us more. And now I want to go to the next paragraph, and, and here we'll speed this thing along. But I do want to talk about this, because personalism starts, he continues, by drawing a line between humans and other animals. Your dog is great, but there is a depth, complexity, and superabundance to each per human personality that gives each person unique, infinite dignity. I 100% guarantee you that my dog is more lovable than David Brooks. That's fair. Yeah, that's it. Honestly, I had a whole thing about yeah. this, but no, that, that's great. Moving on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I could give you a Jewish philosophy approach to the difference, no. but we're not no, going to no, do that. No, that's, that's it. Mag, we're not going to do that. Mag says on David Brooks in a way that you and I never could. Truth. So he's, he's here banging on about, uh, hang on a second here. So he's here banging on about how, uh, you know, the, this, these modern times, right, they leave us to, they, they, they make us see people uh, in exploitative ways. Uh, as we go through our busy days, it's normal to want to establish an I-it relationship with others. With the security guard in your building or the office worker down the hall, I will, I will be damned well, if this man has a personal relationship with a security worker or the office worker Sweet the Jesus. Hall. He, I mean, David Brooks has apparently found the syllabus for Jewish Philosophy 101. The I-it relationship and the I-thou relationship, which Frank will get to it's coming. In, in, in a moment, are concepts brought up by... Uh, philosopher named Martin Buber that used them in the context to explain the ideas behind the Hasidut, the mm -hmm. Hasids, as people mm -hmm. know them. The Ayat relationship, very simply, is you develop a relationship, as Frank just said, with your doorman, your cab driver, whatever else it might be. It's an Ayat. You're using the other person for something. The I-thou relationship is when you actually develop a close-hearted relationship with them, and that's the higher level of it. David Brooks somehow brings these concepts up, doesn't explain them, thinking that everybody who's reading the New York Times knows what they are, which, eh, I mean, mm. he might not be wrong, but he's not making any friends. Yeah. No, that's right. So he brings this up, he's got this, and then he all, so he goes on uh, from the necessity to move beyond uh, I, it, to I, thou, uh, which, again, okay. I mean, I just sure, dumbed fine. it down in five no, seconds. No, 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 you're right. These are very, it's a worthwhile book. Yeah, these are extremely valuable and useful concepts. The second responsibility of personalism, he writes, is self-gifting. 20th century psychologists like Carl Rogers treated people as self-actualizing beings. Get in touch with yourself. And then he goes on to name some other people. Per you know, the, the idea is you're supposed to give yourself to the world. This seems like a remarkably appropriate paragraph for a man who taught a course, uh, I think it was on ethics perhaps at Yale, in which the majority of the syllabus was made up of his own works. Well, well, of course there is, it was. Yeah, there is no one on earth who has a better sense of his own value as a gift to the world, I would argue, than David Brooks. Or a guy who, what is it now, three years ago, wrote a whole book about how to make good character. Mm -hmm. Oh, yikes. 
Yeah, well, what you, yeah, they, exactly. The road to character, he wrote, while he was in the immediate act of marrying his research assistant, who assisted him on the book The Road to Character. Scandal. Right? It's, it's quite a thing. So anyway, he, he carries she on know about he's missing the, teeth? One assumes so. Actually, if you look up all of his headshots, they're all closed mouth yeah. smiles. Yeah. The conspiracy continues. Yeah. So essentially, this is this is David Brooks, a man who has complained for more than a decade on the in in the most valuable real, journalistic real estate in the country about poor people having sex without consulting him, lecturing us all on finding individual value in individual people. This is, but this is the kind of the reason I bring this up in the context of alt centrism is, this is painfully and powerfully alt centrist, in the sense that it it is taking a very real look at some very serious social issues, like how do we grapple with our different identities? How do, we, how do we make sense of the fact that we are all trying the same social experiment, but we all have wildly different motivations and we all have wildly different experiences, many of which are conflicting, and we're all trying to get through this together. This is hard stuff, and essentially flies back out to the idea, which I am very doubtful he practices personally, maybe, I don't know, the lines are open, please call us and tell us, uh, that we that we must all simply respect and take each person on a case-by-case basis, and there is no possible normative statement to be offered unless he offers it himself. This is a powerfully alt-centrist uh, uh, you know, uh, perspective. We're going to intellectualize everything so that we don't actually have to think about the real issues that are affecting real people in the world. Well, I think this is the important point to dive down. Like, mm-hmm. Ma- Maggie, with, with thoughts? <laughs> thoughts? I mean, David Brooks also doesn't strike me as a kind of person who has to have dealt with any of the issues that he decides to write about. And isn't that a nice place to sit and be? Yeah, one can assume that David Brooks has never faced racism, sexism, debt. I mean, his biggest critique of Jordan Peterson is that he's like, man, it sounds a little too much like Nietzsche. And I'm like, that's, that's all you have to say? <laughs> that's, all you, that, 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 that's all you have to that's say? That's the best you can do, buddy? Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Good yeah. to know where you stand. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is exactly right. Not enough like Reinhold Niebuhr. Any, and I've got to fuck say, you. I've got, I've got to say this: the next <laughs> son of a bitch who invokes Reinhold Niebuhr in discussing the present the present sorry state of affairs in American politics is getting it straight in the neck. That's bullshit, and stop doing it. I enjoin all of you. Yeah, that's why I just called out Frank because we have we have a rule we have a rule on Salty Jason's revenge, mm-hmm. not to invoke. Shitty theolo- theologians. Well, if you do, is that a drinking penalty or a, or a sure drink? Vanities. Okay. We are being multicultural. We are drinking Sapporo premium beer. Yes, somewhere Donald Trump is hating this because the Japanese, they bring in these American beer cases and they drop a bowling ball on them and they say this beer is spoiled. That's not fair. We've <laughs> talked about this in the past that Donald Trump is stuck in 1984. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or potentially 1988. Like, Rising Sun is basically what he watched to, under, to understand American-Japanese relations. Yeah, it's, totally. it's a horror movie. And, and not Rising Sun. Rising Sun is a commonplace thriller, but what's happening is a horror movie. Speaking of horror movies, we have, not to be outdone, the Washington Post has a columnist who has also weighed in in the proper spirit of all centrism. All right, we're going to talk about Jay Rube for just a couple minutes. Who is Jay Rube? Jennifer Rubin is a columnist for the Washington Post. Jennifer Rubin is a former corporate attorney who started writing columns for Weekly Standard and other, um, we'll call them traditionally conservative publications, and then got a column at the Washington Post to basically be their conservative response to Dana Milbank. 
or some okay. such. Sure. Jennifer Rubin did not like Barack Obama. She certainly did not like no. Bill Clinton. I'm not even sure she liked George Bush. But she really does not like Donald J. Trump. Donald John Trump. We should really use his... We should call him D. John Trump. Sure. D. John Trump. Yeah, it has a wonderfully 19th century ring to it. Yeah. D. John Trump the first. First of his name? Well, we know of... <laughs> God, there, no. No. Right? <laughs> no. There, there are... I like where you're going with that. Thanks, thanks to uh, Julia Yaffe's great piece in uh, GQ today, we know that there are at least two other Donald Trumps. Oh, boy. Yeah, and they, they're having a very hard time of it. Really? Sure. I didn't read the piece, but I remember yeah. when the Donald Trumps were discovered. The, Donald, <laughs> the Donald's Trump, excuse me. Yes. Yes. Donald Trump. Sorry, I feel getting like I'm back, getting back to Jay Rubin. Back to Jennifer Rubin. Jennifer Rubin has been writing. Uh, at this point, I don't know that she's stopped writing on a weekly basis. It seems she's pumping out so many columns that are essentially about the exact same thing, mm-hmm. calling out the Republican Party for not holding Donald Trump accountable. Yes. Now. As we posted on our Twitter feed at Taking Ship, we have Buy a t-shirt. we have invited John, Jennifer Rubin to join our club to deal with Republicans who put tax cuts, deregulation, and judicial nominees above country. Mm-hmm. We meet every day at the bar. Mm-hmm. We have not heard back from her, but we would strongly suggest that she join us. Um, although part of me thinks she might be so blitzed that she wouldn't be able to get to the bar. It's possible. But that's what Uber's for, and I'm sure she has some sort of weird conservative thing against Uber. But she has been writing this column for the better part of a year and a half now, every week, if not twice or three times a week, calling for Republicans to hold Donald Trump accountable, and that all will be well if Paul Ryan and Mitch McC- if P90 Pauly and the Bluegrass Turtle would do their jobs. Mm-hmm. What in the history, and this raises the interesting question, what in the history of the Republican Party, Jennifer, in the last 30 years, suggests to you that the present, against sorry state of affairs, and when I talk about the sorry state of affairs, I'm referring specifically to children in cages in the, in, on, you know, in border states and now elsewhere. Yeah, but, but the economy's be, doing let's great, be, let's, let's be clear. Let's talk about that. Yeah, exactly. Let's be clear. Let's talk about that. What in the history of the Republican Party in the last 30 years suggests to you that it was all heading anywhere but here? The idea that they're going to somehow step up and nobly defend us from this is like saying, you know, if only these people who have been throwing matches on the gasoline will suddenly arrive with like a water can of, with like a water can full of water and douse the flames. Well, sure, that's something that anyone can hope for. But they showed up with the they showed up with the gasoline and the matches. What do you think they're going to do? It's a huge group of if only people is what I've yeah. decided to call them. If only, if only X would do Y, and therefore yeah. the republic would be saved. Well, here's the other thing that I'm curious about, and I have not read her column, so this is a genuine question. It That's is, okay. Yeah, I feel I feel all the much better for it, to be honest. Um, but when we say, like, if only we could hold Republicans accountable, that sounds great. And everyone can kind of, like, nod, oh, yes, peace and carrots, we agree. Mm-hmm. But what does that actually mean? And what does that actually look like? I mean, I don't know how prescriptive she actually needs to be, but, like, like, tactically, basically, so what does that mean? She, to her credit, and, and, does she, and, does she say and this is a lot to say, to her credit, she genu- generally does present specific things that should and can happen. Which is good. I mean, because that's, I feel like that's a little bit... None of which ever will. Yeah, how, oh, many, sure. how many of them are actual prescriptions versus but, fantasy? But, I mean, that's maybe the other thing, is that that's why I think alt-centrism feels so comfortable to people, is that it's so easy to say, like, hold people accountable, or take action, or do this, that... 
yes, we all can kind of agree on, but like no one knows what that means or what you're prescribing will literally never happen. It's fan fiction. 100%. Yeah. 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 Fan, bringing back the comic books. Yeah, exactly. So now yeah, we've made it nice for sort of. No. I want to bring. No, we're not going we're not to <laughs> go down that road. I do want to. I do want to bring in one more thing here. Uh, before maybe we, we think about rounding this thing out here, which is just an, an outbreak of alt-centrism, an outbreak of alt-centrism that has happened at the New York Times that is not distinct to David Brooks. Uh, a piece, this is being dragged on Twitter, so we're not going to get into it in detail, a piece on June 20th uh, titled, In Trump's America, the Conversation Turns Ugly and Angry, Starting at the Top. Yes, which is a discussion of incivility. Again, the present, the present circumstance being children being kept in cages... In which the mm-hmm. the key line in this mm-hmm. is Hit us. the key line in this is really crap. If I can find it quickly, son of a bitch. Frank, let's vamp. Quote. Let's vamp. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, yeah. stretch, stretch. Give him stretch, the old stretch. razzle dazzle. Quote. The, found it? Great. the okay. president has generated so much anger among his foes that some are crossing boundaries that he himself shattered long ago. Yeah. So basically what you, so the criticism of Trump in this piece is that President Trump uh, described undocumented immigrants as murderers and thieves who want to infest our country. Infest being just a word. word. So horrifying. Not long ago he referred to them as animals. So basically like these whole thing, murderers and thieves infest and animals. This is like, this has been uh, reasonably compared to Rwanda and other circumstances of ethnic cleansing because this is how you dehumanize the enemy that you want to cleanse from your country. This is very typical rhetoric that one associates with governments or entities that are looking to expunge a specific group of people from existence. There's a right. fantastic Black Mirror episode about just this. I'm too scared to watch Black Mirror. You should be. It's not okay. No. There's a, and so, so, natu- so what do you do? You were, you were at the New York Times... You know, as Lennon once asked, what's to be done? Well, what's to be done, I think you'll find, is to write a Tell piece. Tell us, Joe. In, in, is a piece in which to, is a, is a piece uh, in which you talk about this. And then you talk about the way that uh, liberals, uh, Democrats and others, such as Robert De Niro, uh, noted uh, liberal leader Robert De Niro, and others have said nasty things about the president. And it's just a nice general assessment of how civility is declining across the aisle. Let me tell you a very good way not to be called a fucking monster. Tell us, Frank. Don't act like a fucking monster. Hey. A very good You know, it's, it's hard stuff for, for our friends at the New York Times, but I think they're getting it. Uh, a good way not to be accused of absolute uh, moral degeneracy is not to lock children in cages. It is possibly uncivil. To say that uh, to say that uh, you know the people who wrote this piece might be alarmingly credulous rubes, might be intellectually bankrupt and morally derelict. Those are things that could be said. But the thing is, there's an argument to be made there, and to equate what I just said to the idea that there may be some truth to it, so the, the idea that uh, you know, that there are undocumented immigrants who want to infest our country and our animals is to create is to create a false equivalency that frankly damns the person making the comparison. We also have to think about. The public versus the private, right? Mm-hmm. So public displays of, like, bombast and, like, you know, lock her up, par example, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. saying fuck Trump, like, that that serves, that serves a purpose. And mm-hmm. that kind of public civility gets us nowhere. Private civility mm-hmm. gets us quite far. And, like, it's really easy to say, like, everything is terrible and we fight all the time because that's what you see. No one saw, to bring it up again, Patty Murray and Paul Ryan, like, um working to actually make a budget while mm-hmm. they would disagree with each other um, in the media. So it's entirely missing the point and focusing on the wrong part of the story to say, 
you should not Robert De Niro, actor, human person with emotions, say mm -hmm. fuck Trump. We are far past that. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with public displays of that kind of emotion. Do I like it when they say lock her up? No, because, you know, Trump should be locked up as well, to be perfectly honest. Sure, but the idea that, uh, that first of all, yeah, I mean, that we, we are long past that point. Uh, the equivalence between the President of the United States you know, classifying a group of people as animals who infest and an actor uh, saying, fuck this dude. Honestly, if someone described, well, I mean, honestly, anyone who, if, if someone described a group of people as animals who want to infest, the appropriate response is, fuck you. Exactly, exactly, because yeah. he has a lot more say? power. Yeah, what else can you say? Yeah. 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 Albert Bernico at Deadspin wrote a really good piece some months ago to the effect that you cannot bully these people. And it's true. You can't bully someone. You can't be you know, you can't be indefensibly uncivil to someone who's doing a genuine evil from a position of enormous power, which is exactly what's happening here. That's the dynamic that's at play. Also, I love Albert Bernico. Yeah. If you're listening, we love you. Albert, you're you're our favorite. And honestly, I make your lasagna several times a year. I make your meatloaf exactly once a year, and it's always superlative. God bless you, Albert Bernico. You're America's greatest hero. I don't know what just happened, but I like it. <laughs> Sweet. Read read his stuff. Yeah, you should. Highly All right. recommend. We have been yakking for quite some time, so we're going to call it. We had some more stuff that we want to talk about, but we kind of feel like it's evergreen, so we'll talk about the New York City subway and public transportation writ large at some further point. Yeah. True. Mm -hmm. uh, but in the meantime, please do subscribe and rate us on iTunes, and follow us on Twitter at, at Taking Ship, or at, at Frank Spring, at Ellie Jacobs, and Maggie M012. Hell yeah, now we're talking. You got it. I got it right. I only need to be corrected once or twice. Mm -hmm. uh, and please go to our website, takingship.com. Order yourself... Several t-shirts. Several t-shirts. All the t-shirts. All the t <laughs> Really, all the t-shirts. Uh, please order all the t-shirts. Um, and that's all. So, Frank, uh, I I'm waiting to find out... Where are we headed this week? So, friends, this this week we are taking ship for the high seas. Generally, we might look in on the Gulf of Mexico. Recently, uh, actually, this this would be Wednesday, so uh, yesterday for the recording, uh, uh, President Trump uh, ended an eight-year-old policy that protected the oceans, a policy that uh, promote that uh, came about under Barack Obama as a result of the Deepwater Horizon disaster in the Gulf of Mexico. Which, incidentally, protecting the oceans is something we are opposed to. Generally, but not in this context. Yes, so this is the important thing. You might think that we at Taking Ship, ever vigilant for the malice of our great aquatic enemy, would approve of provisions that make it easier to pollute the wild, the the, the world's oceans, uh, slaughtering the vicious uh, and pernicious wildlife and devastating the degenerate and horrifying fisheries. But let me tell you this, we are nothing on the, on the salty Jason's revenge, we are about nothing not fair play. We will meet the ocean on its own terms. Man to man, and I say man to man deliberately, because if there's anything, because what about a war on the ocean itself suggests that anyone consulted a woman? It's an insane, it's an insane and ludicrous notion that only could have been brought about by a bunch of dudes, and I will stand by that position. Maggie is, is doubtful, as well she is right to be. So we will meet them individually, possibly in a gendered way, and we will fight the ocean until we will fight the ocean, not on our beaches, but on their beaches, which is like right beneath the ocean, like right, like right off a beach, but in the shallows. Uh, we will fight them in the shallows. We will fight them in the depths. Uh, we shall fight them uh, in the holes, and we shall fight them on the high seas, amongst the tides and the waves. Never surrender until the ocean self descend. You know, until the ocean itself surrenders uh, and gives up the ghost. But we will not poison them because that is ungentlemanly. Uh, so we take ship now. 
to defend the honor of our great cause, the war on the sea, uh, and to defy President Trump's vile order to poison uh, this worthy, if pernicious, foe. Take care, everybody.